Thank you, Jonathan. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here tonight. Thank you for having me. I um, feel very privileged and honoured to be here on this very special occasion, um, particularly as I'm not a Presbyterian, and uh, Steve has sn- snuck me in, um, sneaked me in. Um, but I did live in Darivogi for four years, and I did do a master's at Union. So there you go. It's kind of in the blood somewhere. It's also great to be here because over the years, Steve has been a great friend to me and a great influence in my life. And so it feels very honoured to be taking part in this special weekend services um, uh, tonight. As I, as I thought about tonight and the significance of the occasion, I really felt led to think and ponder the whole thought and idea of the word legacy. Steve gave me the very small task of saying the rest of this weekend we looked a little bit back in the 200 years and I'd love you to think about the next 200. So um, I'm trying my best to get my head around that. But I just, I, just, uh, I just feel that as we look and turn our eyes maybe towards the future, there's something to understand about legacy that I think can empower us into the future. I've started to think about this a lot more because I'm a, I'm a dad now and I have two younger daughters and so I'm thinking constantly about my life and the choices that I make and the legacy that I am leaving. I'm thinking about the atmosphere in my home that they are growing up in. I'm thinking about the freedom that they can experience in the church that I helped to lead, a freedom that I never really got to know in the church that I grew up in for all its strengths. I'm thinking about the atmosphere in the country that I live in and what I'm contributing to it that they're going to grow up in and live in and someday they're going to have to take responsibility to go further in. I was thinking just to help me illustrate this, my my granny and granda were really wonderful people. We live in the country outside Lurgan, right on the very shore of Loch Ness. And my granny and granda, my granda was from the country, my granny was from the Donegal Road, and he married her and he brought her home, as I would, we would say. And uh, he, he, they were just good people who loved God and just got on with doing life and loving the people in our community. We were in a mixed community in the country. And so people were always around my granny and granddad's house from both sides of the community. He never preached a sermon, but he loved people. He built a wall in the countryside in the days when the lock shore, as we call it, came up right close to the road. It's still there today. We used to walk on it when we were children. My granny, she prayed for us all by name every day. My granddad developed a construction business with my dad and the other six sons led. She prayed for the lorry drivers every day for protection. She prayed for us. I think it became 25 grandchildren by name every day. And as far as I know, every single one of those grandkids have a relationship with Jesus. We're all in the kingdom. My my granddad built a little gospel hall. And uh, he wasn't a preacher, but he was a good builder. And he, he, he built a little gospel hall that we all grew up in. And in their house they had this big, big table. It was a big kitchen table because they had six sons, of which my dad was one and one daughter. The preachers and everybody came to that house for dinner, sat around the table, shared food together, threw food at one another, and all kinds of other weird and wonderful things. But family became a big deal. And I realized the more I grew up that I was incredibly privileged to grow up and understand 
family and what that meant. And as I thought about how special that was, and then I thought about that next generation down, because my uncle Philip, who was the youngest of those six boys, my dad's youngest brother, after many years found a lot of broken people who had fallen out of that church that we had grown up in for various reasons. And so he decided to open up his home. He never really wanted to start a church, but he was finding an awful lot of broken people. And so, again, you went into his house just on the Warringstown Road out of Lurgan, Upper Lurgan, people in Warringstown like to call it. And, uh, <coughs> and, and you went into his room and there was always, you went into his kitchen, there was always people around the table. And so one Sunday they started to worship and pray and gather together as church and eight or ten people showed up and, and now that church, 17, 18 years later, is 350, 400 people. A lot of people have come to faith and have learned how to sit around the table. A couple of weeks ago, just at midterm there, we, we had an outreach service and we had a big table up at the front with candelabras and all nicely laid out. I didn't do it, as you could guess. But we were trying to say that at the very heart, while the church gets bigger and grows, at the very heart of this is a, is a family, is a table where everyone's welcome. The table that Jesus said the kingdom was like, where people are invited, every one of us, all in need of grace. We take our, we take our positions and our titles off us, and we're all positioned around this table of grace. And slowly but surely, we've seen people added to that table. And I think about how that legacy was carried on from my granny to my uncle and and then there's there's me who grew up at both of those tables and I, I'm a bit naive and, and stupid and all of those things but I'm asking the question then how, how can we make this table then not just about just in our home and, and not just about our church but what, what does this table look like in our nation so I, I'm, I'm feeling this like burning in my heart at the minute what does a table look like in our nation where people, what does it look like for this land of Ireland for people to sit around the table as a family? What does it look like from people from both sides of the community, from every walk of life? What does that look like for our nation? What does it look like and what, is it, what, what do we have to realize or what does it mean for our nation to realize that Jesus said that he prepares a table before us right in the very presence of our enemies? What does that look like? What does it look like? And I'm asking myself that question because I'm wondering if, if I can give myself to that question, I'm wondering what it'll be like for Annie, my daughter, who's two, to grow up in that country. And I'm wondering what then she will take on. So this is like burning in my soul at the moment. I get to be involved in the 24-7 prayer movement in Ireland where we're seeing people connected in with a, a vision for God's kingdom to come in our land. I can't get away from it. I can try and run from it, but it doesn't really allow me to get away because this thing that's burning in my heart started with maybe a granny who just like prayed for me every day. And a mum and dad who, when I was born, gave me back to God. <laughs> he didn't really get much of a chance to, to do anything else because something was shaped and fashioned in my heart and so I'm living and I'm starting to realize the legacy that I'm living in the slipstream that I got caught up in and I'm starting to realize who what is it that I want to give my life to will my generation take more ground will we see this advance and will my children will they take it even further because we're all part of one big beautiful story 
We're all part of one big great story, the kingdom of God, the God story. God will not abandon his dream for the world. And slowly but surely, the kingdom of darkness is being pushed back into the corner and we see the glimpses of the beauty of the kingdom of Jesus that is as relevant today and as countercultural today and as radical and as subversive today as it's ever been coming on the earth. It's a powerful thing, legacy. And biblically, it would appear that each generation has a call and a responsibility to go further. And so as I think about Fitzroy, what a legacy. What a wonderful legacy. What a beautiful legacy that you have been part of, many of you, and some of you are getting caught up into. There's the courageous values of the kingdom that you have stood for over the years. There's the obvious things like the courage to stand for peace and reconciliation, the cross divides from current leaders and from those who went before. There was the belief, and still is in the arts, when it wasn't all that was that spiritual to believe in such things. But creative people with all their quirks and foibles got loved and welcomed and released and supported in the family of God. There's the different pioneering initiatives within your denomination over the last hundred years and more. There's the generosity that we heard about tonight, giving to the poor champion in social justice. And then there's the faithful stewards who turn up every week and welcome people at the door and teach in Sunday school and make the tea and he kept showing up he just kept showing up and with their five loaves and two fish kept offering up to Jesus and said take it and use it to bless others and then there's the all of us as all of you as scattered servants every day carrying the light and love of Jesus across the city and beyond diffusing something of the beauty of his fragrance wherever you go What a wonderful legacy and glory to God for such a legacy. And we're living in the slipstream of such a legacy. People who have made waves that the rest of us get to surf. Some done in big, public, wonderful, powerful ways. Others done in small and faithful, everyday ways. And as we think about this and as we kind of, if it's possible, gather this all up into ourselves, what does this mean as we look ahead to the future? How does this wonderful legacy empower us in? And as I thought about how I could encourage you in this, it was drawn to this passage of Scripture that Jonathan read. The children of Israel were on their way to the promised land. There was a land of more. There was a land of destiny. There was a land of promise that God had written on this bunch of slaves and refugees. This ramshackle of people that had come together. And God says, I've set my love upon you, not because you were the greatest, but because you were the least. What a, one, what a wonderful God. He says, I'm setting my love upon you and destiny is written on your hearts for a land of promise. Egypt was a land of not enough. The wilderness was a land of just enough. But there was a land of more than enough that God had for them. And they're on their way and they're gathered at the banks of the River Jordan, a journey that should only have taken them not longer than a year. And they're standing there and Moses says, off you go, go and spy out this promised land. 
and they go. And I don't know if you remember the song. Ten spies went out to spy in Canaan. Twelve spies. Ten were bad, two were good. Do you remember that? No? Okay. That was, that was the Sunday school I went to. It was rock and roll in those days. Mm. But ten spies, twelve spies went. Ten came back with a negative report. And here's the thing about the report that they give. They said, this land that the Lord has for us, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's everything that he said it would be. It's a land of promise. It's a land of flowing with milk and honey. And it's everything that we could ever have dreamed of. But, but there's giants. And they're bigger than us. And we can't go there. We'd be safer settling, staying put here. And then there's the two other spies, Joshua and Caleb. And here's the report that they give. Caleb speaks up. It says he quieted the people and he said, Let us go up at once, for we are certainly able. Isn't that brilliant? Let us go up at once, because we are well able. We can, NIV says, we can certainly do it. And the people, unfortunately, listened to the negative report. And here's the thing. I'm sick of negative reports. I am sick of the negative reports around our land. And there is giants, and there's much work to be done. But I would love tonight to bring a good report of the land. And here's the good report of the land of Belfast in Ireland. There's giants, yes. But let us go up at once, because we can certainly do it. We can certainly do it. People of Fitzroy, you can certainly do it. Young people of Fitzroy, you can certainly do it. Building a school in, in northern Uganda, I wholeheartedly endorse it. I've been there two or three times. You can certainly do it. You've seen even today when the money that has been given, that faith starts to rise in our hearts. We can certainly do this. See, Joshua and Caleb, goes on to say in the next chapter that God said, had to say, listen, I can't take this. I can't take this older, grumbling, complaining, negative generation to where I want them to be. Because they were, God wanted to make a promise people out of them. And he had taken them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. The freedom felt great and looked great, but for them, they'd rather have went back or they'd rather have stayed. And God has destined us for more, co-partnering with him and the wonderful things of his kingdom. And it says this, I can only take Joshua and Caleb in. The rest are going to have to just die here. And Joshua and Caleb, they're going to come in. And it says this because, this little phrase, I love it, it says, he had a different spirit. He had a different spirit. And for all the great things that God has done in Fitzroy, for all the wonderful legacy that there is, you don't need to tell, you don't need me to tell you that there's, there's more to do. There's more to be done. When we look out into Botanic and into the Holy Lands and then into Belfast and into our land and even into the nations, there's more to be done. God's heart is still broken for, for his dream for the world to be to come to pass and he wants to showcase his original purpose for mankind through his people, you and me. And for us to go into that land of promise, for us to go into the more that he has for us, he's looking for those of a different spirit because there are giants. 
There are giants, but there's a good report tonight that we are more able. And so God is looking for those of that different spirit to look ahead into the more that God has because his message, the message of Jesus, is still as wonderful and as beautiful as it's ever been. He is still the pearl of great price. He is still the pearl at great price. He is still worth giving it all up to follow. He is still the one that it's worth denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following because it's him and his ways alone that will change and revolutionize the world for the good and for his glory. And it takes, and it's going to take us all. And I want to leave some more thoughts with you before, before we finish. But I just want to encourage you tonight that I feel like we can certainly do it, but it needs every single one. And there's three sets of people I feel I want to encourage tonight. There's, there's Moses's, if that's right, Moses's, right? People like Moses, right? Poor old Moses didn't get to see the land of promise. And because he disobeyed God, and so hear me right, I'm not saying that there's anybody here tonight that hasn't, that has disobeyed God in that regard, but I just feel that there's some of you that, if we're being honest, and you know what, there's maybe, there's maybe not a lot, there's not, maybe not lots of time left. And, but here's what Moses did, and I feel there's people here tonight like, like Moses. The book of Deuteronomy, before they got into the promised land, he preached his socks off. He gave it one last time, he gave it everything he's got to tell the younger generation the story of God. To tell them the God story. To tell them that they were a nation. That they were slaves. That God had brought out of Egypt. That God had freed. The God that came down on Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments. The God who, who, um, who appeared and gave them manna to eat. and All that kind of stuff. He had to tell them that story. He encouraged them to love the Lord their God with all their hearts. In Exodus you see a mountain on fire. In Deuteronomy you see a man on fire. And it's this old man who's not going to get to see the things that he prayed for and he longed for. But he preached his socks off and he gave it everything he's got. And I just feel that there's people here tonight that for some of you young people it would be good to go and sit in their house and let them tell you the great things that the Lord has done in this place and around this land and let them encourage you into the new. And then there's Caleb's, people who are also maybe on the latter half of life, but you know you aren't finished yet. You know you aren't finished yet. You know Caleb, Caleb's name means mad dog. And I'm hoping, I know you all look really refined here tonight and wonderful, right? But I think there's some mad dogs here, Right? I think there's some of you that are still up for it. Because here's the wonderful thing it says in Joshua chapter 14, when they go into this promised land, Joshua says, do you know what? Give me the difficult country. Give me, the, give me that mountain that's still difficult, because I might be 80 years old, but I'm as hungry and as vigorous in my bones a day as I've ever been. And I'm ready for whatever this next 200 years is like. I'm ready. And there's not going to be any young people past me because <laughs> I am hungry to see this happen. And I just think there's something about everyone walking into this together. You know, that's why well, I've never seen Steve looking as well. <laughs> and I know it's about that, but because I, I know him, I know why. Because he's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish the sentence. 
<laughs> but in all seriousness, he's as hungry and vigorous as ever for this next 200 years. And he doesn't want anything that would stop him from giving it his best shot. And I know there's others like it as well. And if the Joshua's and the Caleb's can walk together into the promise that the Lord has for you, I think the results could be wondrous for the kingdom of God. And then there's the Joshua's, the young people, the young men and the young women, who God said, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to lead this nation beyond where Moses could take it. And you're thinking, holy cow, it's overwhelming. You can imagine this young man, and God showed up and he said, Joshua, you need to hear me. Moses is dead, and now it's your turn. Are you ready to step up? Are you ready to step up? and lead these people into the land. This is your time. Here's the thing, young people. Once you get a certain age, you can't blame anybody else anymore. You maybe can if you're in a church that doesn't let you thrive and develop and all of that, but it, I know that's not the case here. You can't blame anybody else. Somewhere along the line, you've got to take responsibility. And when God's got his finger just on your life, just pushing and provoking, which I think he could be doing tonight. This could be your time to say, this next 200 years, I'm in. Count me in. Two feet, all I've got. God, wherever you're taking us, I'm ready to go. See, some of us, the picture I had tonight was some of us maybe have been on a bit of a, we've been caught in that slipstream. I'm not much of a motor racer or anything like that, but my understanding is that if you're in that slipstream for long enough, you've got caught up, you've got pulled along in that slipstream, and then there's a point where you just have to pull out and pass and go. And the thing that's wonderful, I think, about churches like this is when you do, you're not going to get a bunch of older people that are going to go, oh, they're going far too fast and all of that there. You're going to probably get a bunch of people that are going to go, go on, come on, everything you've got, we're behind you, what do you need? Let us help you to bring this generation into something new. I'm not so sure anymore of the, the imagery of the baton handing over. I know we hear it a lot, and I think it's good and useful. But my picture is more of just us all kind of running around the track. And some of you maybe just have slowed down a wee bit for very normal reasons. You just, although Steve's running more than he's ever run. But some of us maybe have, are, run, are not just able just to run as quickly but you're still running. You didn't just hand the baton over and put your feet up and that was it. We're all running around this track and when you see somebody running past you, it's come on, go on. Use everything that you've got, all your vitality and energy for the kingdom of God. And maybe that's the realization that needs to happen because that granny that I'm telling you about, she died a couple of years ago. And, uh, and this realization struck me because we're sitting, you know, the way we have wax and all here, and we're sitting around, all the cousins around, and I hadn't actually realized that my other cousins that we get to see now, things like this, um, that there was actually another 25 great-grandchildren. Now, I knew there was a few, but I just didn't realize there was as many as that until we are at the wake. And all of a sudden, I had this kind of moment where I realized that I always still thought that my mum and dad were like the middle generation, and 
and I was the grandchild, and then all of a sudden I had this moment where I realized I am, to the great-grandchildren, what I have lived my life thinking my mum and dad were. And it was like, maybe it sounds funny, but it was like, it was like Joshua, God speaking to Joshua, it was like, Nanny Emerson is dead. Now it's your time. And it's, it's always our time. But there's something about those moments of realization where the Holy Spirit quickens something in our hearts and we realize this is what it's all been about. This is our time. And I think in a weekend like this, this is, this is your time. I love the analogy of Jesus in the garden when they come to capture him and they come to take him away. And Peter takes his sword out and he chops off the ear of one of these soldiers. And Jesus says to him, Peter, put your sword away. He says, I'm going to take this one for you. And that really encourages me because, see, when I think about my sword in relation to my uncle's sword, in relation to my dad's sword, in relation to my granny's sword, mine's just like a wee small thing compared to theirs. And Jesus says, Alan, put your sword away. Just show up. Just be of good courage. Just stand tall. Because the message of the gospel is, I've taken this for you. Now you show up. You be available. Because I am going to fight for you. And let me put in you a different spirit. Just quickly, I don't want to keep you too long. What does this different spirit look like? It's a courageous thing. It's a courageous spirit. Courage to believe for more when everybody else is settled around you. Courage to step up to the mark. Courage to know that you might have to take a couple of hits along the way. But courage to know that you can look the giants in the eye and say, we're well able. To look beyond the giants and see a God. Coupled with courage of faith. Faith to believe that God hasn't given up on his people. Faith to believe that God is still for us. Faith that God is either who he says he is or he isn't. Faith to believe that um, God hasn't finished with this church, this city. And grace to believe, faith, sorry, faith to believe that the grace that has led you safe thus far will be the grace that continues to lead you on and strengthen you. Courage, faith, imagination. Joshua and Caleb didn't allow the voice of negativity to suppress the alternative that they knew that God wanted to bring. They didn't allow the great hope of God's kingdom to be suppressed and squeezed out of them in the midst of all the negativity. Yet they imagined something different. They thought of an alternative to the status quo. If the devil can do anything, he wants to deaden your imagination. He wants to deaden your desire for an alternative. And that's why Jesus told the parables and the stories that he did. So he would shock us out of the reality that we're living in into a whole other alternative one that will make the world God bathed, there's more to all of us than we know. And if we can tell the God story in all the creative and imaginative ways that we can, we can subvert all the other stories that are happening around your schools, your universities, the lives that you're living. I love Leonard Sweet's little phrase, the future belongs to those who are going to tell the best stories. And we've got the greatest story of all. And if you can just think of creatively and imaginatively how you can tell the God story... It will subvert and redeem all those other nonsense stories that are killing and suppressing and oppressing our generation today. It's about responsibility. 
It's about taking up our place in the story, realizing that you have a part to play in this wonderful God story, in the story of Fitzroy, and the story of God beyond. That all the singing the songs, and all the trips to the summer camps, and all the stuff that's wonderful and great, and a great investment, has to move to action someday. And it has to be a straightening of the back, and a lifting of the head, and a responsibility to say, this is our time, and I'm in. And finally, it's about this different spirit. It's about faith, courage, imagination, responsibility. And finally, it's about the presence. It's about the presence of God. (laughs) See, the most annoying thing about God is he's alive. He's a living God, which means we can't necessarily do the same thing just every week or every day. Because he's alive and living and active and present in the now and in the everyday. And he is longing for that encounter with us so that through us the world can know of that encounter. Say, I think the people in your classroom, people in your universities, people in your workplaces are longing for an encounter of God. I think they're secretly hoping that there is hope and purpose and destiny for the brokenness, loneliness, and shatteredness in their lives. I think they're secretly hoping that God will show up. They might be a little bit frustrated and negative about the church, but I think they're secretly longing. Finish with this story. Last year, I went to Cambodia on a mission trip. Took a few people from our church there. And when I was there, we were working with different... um, men and women that have got caught up in the terrible kind of sex trafficking industry that goes on there. And when I was there, one of the things that we did in the evenings, we went out into some of the, uh, the bars where a lot of these girls and guys worked. And uh, we went in and we just were trying to engage in conversation. And if an opportunity came to pray for them, then we wanted to take that. And when I was there, one girl came over. She was about 19, 20. She came over and asked us for a drink, and we had a drink. And the other person that was with me on, on our team, we, we just tried to engage in small talk, really, at that stage. And I asked her her name, and she said her name was Annie. So immediately my heart was engaged because my, my little girl at that time was only probably a year. And I thought, there's not many little girls that grow up and look themselves in the mirror when they're growing up and think I want to be a prostitute or I want to give my body to men. And I thought, what's her story? How has she ended up there? And and with my little daughter being called Annie, I just thought, how could this happen? And, you know, it just got under my skin and I had a conversation when she asked us what we were doing there and I said, well, I'm here with the church, which probably wasn't what she was uh, expecting to hear. And uh, I said, we're here just involved in different projects. She said to me, um, oh, Jesus. She had broken kind of English and I said, do you know Jesus? She said, when I was a small girl at the Thai border, I was baptized. And since I've come to Phnom Penh in Cambodia, the capital of Cambodia, I've been looking for church. I said, well, we know some people that are living here the whole time. If we took your contact, would you go to church if we, if we asked them to be in contact with you? She said, yes. 
So uh, I took it with a pinch of salt, knowing the industry that she was involved in and wondering how gen- genuine she was about it. But it, it had moved me. And so later on with our team that night, I had shared it and asked us to, to pray for her. And I just made a commitment that when I came home and I was praying for Annie, my daughter, each night I would pray for her as well. And then I had to go on home with some of the rest of the team, but some of the rest of the team were staying. Two or three nights later, the rest of the team went back to this particular district. There's hundreds of bars, probably thousands of different workers in this kind of industry. We did what we did the first night. We prayed before we went. We asked God to use us, protect us. If there was anything that he wanted to do, use us through, that he would show us it. And so the team went out. My friend Dave went with another team member to a bar. And they sat down and the same thing happened. Somebody came over and asked him for a drink. And they asked the girl, what's your name? Who served him a drink? She says, Annie. And Dave says, did you meet my friend Alan two or three nights ago? And she said, yeah. And she says, when he left, when I left, when he left, I I prayed that God would send somebody else. See, the world is waiting for an encounter. The world is waiting for us to show up with the presence of the living God. Christ, the hope of glory, is sitting in your seat. He's sitting in your seat. And he's longing for us to keep showing up alive in his presence with a different spirit. And so, for the next 200 years... Whatever they may bring, whatever goes on, be those of a different spirit because you are well-able. You can certainly do it. And all these wonderful things that the leadership and eldership feel the Lord laying on their hearts that I'm sure many of you have inputted into, you can certainly do it. Can I pray for you? And then I think the band are going to come and lead us in a song. Father, we just want to say that we are grateful for your love and your grace in our lives. We're thankful for the, for the overflow of your love in our lives and through our lives. And God, we uh, thank you that you've called us sons and daughters. Thank you that you have, Lord, um, destiny and purpose written on our hearts, Lord, that are beyond what we can even imagine at times. And so, God, we're asking for grace and for the help of your Spirit to help us get inside your imagination for our own lives and for the world around us, that you've called us to partner with you in seeing your kingdom come. And so, God, we pray for, Lord, a stirring of our hearts, faith to rise, Lord, to be those of a different spirit, to be those who carry, Lord, a good report for the land, Lord, who, who understand the giants that are there, but see beyond them to a God who is greater and stronger and more powerful, a hope, Lord, that we can fix our eyes upon that is true and is real and is beyond, Lord, all the darkness that we might see around us. So give us, um, in these days ahead, give this body of people, give these, this community of faith, God, I pray that you give them eyes to see the great things and that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ever ask or imagine according to the great power that works in them we ask in Jesus name and for your glory. Amen.